find Matthew chapter 6, we're going to get right after it. I'm going to start our time this morning um, with, in the Word with a presuppositional question for you. And the question is, um, we are, are a statement, I guess I would say, it's not really a question, but it's going to become a question, is um, we live in distracted times. We live in distracted times. Do you agree or disagree? Agree. So how so? How are we living in distracted times? Like I said, we are, I say it every Sunday, we are a um, participatory church, and so we um, want to be a, not just in our singing and in our praying, but also in our time in the Word. Um, we want it to be interactive, and so um, how are we living in distracted times? Okay, so, or just any phone. How about that? Yeah, we, you know, but yes, the iPhone is the most popular. Okay, good. What else? Instant, I was just going to ask that, like, like, like the iPhone is just a thing, right, or a, or a, um, a smartphone is just a thing, but what, is it, what does it do for us? Is it gives us access to instant information, and instant information that is, like, global, and I've said this many times, that we were not made by God to know, I mean, like, think about the last thing that Brady just read. Don't worry about tomorrow, because every day has enough worry of its own, but not only are we, are we able, through the wonders of technology, to worry about every, like, the future and all these other things that are going on, but we're able to worry about everybody else's worries throughout, around, like, literally around the globe. And, and as tragic as things are right now in places like the Gaza Strip, I mean, and, and what that does to your soul when you hear about and you see those pictures of what's going on in that part of the world, because we wouldn't even really know about that, except that we, not, not only do we know about it, but it seeks us out. We don't even have to go looking for the information anymore. It comes to us. How else are we distracted, though? What's that? Focused on each other. Instead of, okay, instead of being so, like in relationship, like, 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 yeah, I mean, we're made for this relationship, but our primary relationship, and we'll see this today, is meant to be this direction. And so we get caught up in, 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 in all of our relationships down here. How else are we distracted? Busy lifestyle. Just, yeah, that is the word. We were, I, we were, um, I don't remember where we were this week, but we were talking about how that was like that. Like that was the that's sort of the new word for us. I mean, it has been for the last few years. It used to, when people say, to you, "How are you doing?" You used to say, "I'm good," or "I'm doing well." Right now, we say, "I'm busy." Right? Like that's just sort of because, it, and it's almost you almost feel guilty if you're if that isn't your answer. Like to say, you know what? I really got nothing going on right now. Like I'm pretty much just hanging out. Like, do you know anybody that's like that? Like, that has that as their answer anymore? I mean, unless they're living in their mom's basement, smoke, never mind. Um, but you, you know what I mean? Like, like, like that, the world that we live in now is busy, 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 busy. And, and we find value in that. And, that's, and that is a huge way the enemy has distracted us. If you've ever read, like, even C.S. Lewis's um, book, The Screwtape Letters, that was one of, it's written as, like, this idea of the, of the spiritual forces of darkness, but it's written from the perspective of the chief demon um, and, and how he's trying to get his, his fellow demons to distract Christians. And one of the things was, just keep them busy. Just keep them busy, and then they won't be about the kingdom business. Right? So it wasn't even about busy doing bad things. Just keep them busy doing things. Right? And that's, I think that's a huge part of it. You know, in, um, so, so let me ask you this question. I'm not asking for input, but just, I just want you to stop right now, whatever you're doing. And it's hard for me to ask the question without sort of giving it away and making it a little easier on you. But if at one moment I were to say to you, like I'm going to do right now, I want you to stop and think about the three things that are in your mind in this moment. Go. No, no, I didn't ask for out loud. The three things that are in your mind right now. 
Now, because I sort of set it up, it would be a little hard, but let's say I had asked that right at the start, how many of us would have said Jesus? How many of us would have said the church even, and we're sitting like as the church together right now? Like so often, those things that are in our minds, or we're thinking about, you know, why was music this way, or why do we, sp- why do we spend so much time on that, or when is this guy going to be done talking so we can go to lunch, or, or, or just what you've got to do this week, or like, I don't know about you, but it's even, I mean, it's a constant fight for me, even during our prayer time, to just stay focused on what's going on in the space in this moment, right? We're so easily distracted. Like our attention span is about four seconds, you know, and so we've got to try to figure out how do we thwart that. Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says that therefore, since we have this, gr- this great cloud of witnesses around us, these, these giants of the faith that, that did live kingdom lives, what are we supposed to do? He says, here's, let, let's, let's live like they live. But he says, here's how you do it. You, let, you, you, you shed the weight of this world. You throw aside the sin that so entangles us, and you run with endurance this race that is set before us. He's saying, just like they did, run the race. But then he tells us, here's how you run the race. How does he tell us to run the race? How do we run? By what? But run the race with endurance. By how, though? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the initiator and the completer of our faith is what that means. Who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross. Right, so, so the question becomes, how, how do we do that? Guys, I, I know we're going to be in chapter 6. I want you to turn to chapter 7, the very end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We are in this series called The Upside-Down Kingdom, and we're talking about how Jesus has already shown himself to be the better Moses. Right? We talked about how in the baptism, in the, in the wilderness wanderings, and then he goes, he goes up the mountain, and, he, um, and instead of receiving the word of God like Moses did, he's now preaching the word of God. This is his first big sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But at the end of chapter 7, look at what he says. He says, and when Jesus had finished. So we're, we're fast-forwarding to the end of the sermon, which, by the way, we're not even going to get to till sometime in the new year. This is our last week in Matthew. We're going to talk about thankfulness next week, and then we're going to jump into, believe it or not, already our Advent season, and then we'll pick it back up in Matthew, Lord willing, in, in the new year, which just sounds so strange to me, but it's just the way it is. But look at, so, at the, so when we get here at some point, it says in, in verse 28, and when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So, so that he gets done with this long sermon, this long teaching, and they're shocked. And here's what they're shocked by. One, the content was pretty heavy, and we've already seen a little of that, and he just ramps it up as he goes along in the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7 as we keep going um, in the Sermon on the Mount. But in their culture, they did not know who he was at this point. They did not know Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, most of them never came to believe that. But what they knew, they thought he was a rabbi. They saw him as a teacher. And in their culture, a rabbi or a teacher or a pastor not only only taught the Word of God the way they knew the Word of God, but also only taught it in the way they had been taught, word for word. So when it says he's taught, with, like he's teaching as one who has authority, they're going, this guy is not only like, like completing God's message, but he's doing it in a way that we've never heard before. He has authority. He isn't assuming authority from somebody else. He is authority. Now here's the question for us. Do we believe that? Like, do you really believe 
that he has come as king to set up his kingdom here and now and there and then. And it's a completely upside down kingdom, the Beatitudes, where he started in Matthew 5. And all of it is because he has been given authority. He ends the gospel of Matthew by saying to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to me. He's saying all authority everywhere, all time, ever is mine. Now go and spread my kingdom. And, and we look around 2,000 years later and we go, the church has been really average at that. Right? We're wondering why he's not coming back yet. Like, what, like, what are you waiting for, Lord? And me, I chime, I'm like, Lord, any time now. But he said that the gospel has to go out to all the earth and then the end will come. And we go, and we're blaming him for not coming back yet. He's saying, I've left you here for 2,000 years. What are you doing? So in light of all that, what we're looking at in this series, we're talking about this upside, like how do we live our lives? Guys, if we really believe that he is who he says he is, that he is king, and that he has established his kingdom, and that it is coming again, we have to stop being okay with living divided lives. I have to stop being okay with living a divided life and just saying, oh well, it's just part of being part of this broken world and I'm just waiting, to, I punched my ticket and I'm waiting to get into heaven. Guys, Jesus did not say that, we, that, that come believe in me and I'll take you to heaven. He said, believe in me and I, you will enter my kingdom. We are kingdom people meant to live here by his power, for his glory, for the expansion of his kingdom. And that's what he's trying to show us in this passage. So what we're looking at today is how do we do that? So last, uh, two weeks ago, Jeff taught on this idea of how do, we, um, how do we live, like live well, like how do we live? And then last week we talked about how do we, um, how do we let go of things? And, we, and he talked about in the context of like giving and in prayer and in fasting, how do we sort of let go of the things of this world? Now what we're going to see is he's going to say, now here's the only way you can do that. The only way you can live right and you can, um, and you can let go is if you keep looking up to me. You have to constantly do what we've already been doing here this morning. You have to constantly fix your eyes on Jesus. You have to constantly look up to the kingdom because, because this world will distract us. We already, it is distracting us. And so the question becomes, like, like, think about it this way. Throughout, not just the Sermon on the Mount, but throughout his ministry and in your life every day, Jesus is saying, one, two, three, eyes on me. One, two, three, eyes on me all the time. Like as an old school teacher, and some of you are school teachers, you know, that was like, one, two, three, eyes on me, let's go. It's a way of saying, hey, pay attention. Get your head out of your screen, out of whatever you're doing, and look up. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. And so the question becomes, how do we keep our gaze fixed on Christ? And he's going to say, he's going to show us in this section, we're gonna, we need to set our sights, we need to see his faithfulness, and we need to seek his glory. Those are the three things we're going to see in the passage that Brady just read for us. So how do we keep our gaze fixed on Jesus? One, we have to set our sights. Look at chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 19, where we left off last week. We have to set our sights. So he says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in on earth, where moth, and and where, moth rust, um, I'm sorry, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So he's saying, do not this, do that. These are commands. 
In the Greek, they're in the imperative. They are not suggestions. He's not saying, I suggest you don't lay up treasure on earth, and I suggest that you lay up treasure in heaven. He's saying, I command that this is how you live if you want to be my disciple. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I can't think of a better place to show you what this looks like than if we just turn a few pages to Matthew 19 and the picture of the rich young ruler. It's a story that we've covered in here a lot. It's the, it's the man who's got... Uh, who's got a ton of money, and he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And, and you're like, oh, softball, right? His disciples are like, absolutely, all right, here we go. Let's watch the master at work. And instead of just saying, believe in me, repent and believe, which is the message of the gospel, he says, so what does the law say? So he gets into this discussion because he's trying to get this guy to a place of realizing what his idol is. And so the guy's like, well, no, I've, I've kept all the law. So, if you, I'm gonna, so I'm skipping the story that you're familiar with. And let's look at the, the whole point of the, pair, or of the story. He says, the young man, so in verse 20 of chapter 19, he says, the young man said to him, all of these things I've kept, what do I still lack? Well, there's a lot of arrogance. Well, how about a little humility, brother? That might be good. But then he says, okay, so, so Jesus says, so if you want to be perfect, go sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, it says that he was sorrowful, for he had many possessions. So Jesus reads this guy, realizes what his heart issue is, says, here's your idol, let it go and come follow me. Here's your distraction. Your distraction is collecting stuff, is collecting wealth. Let go of it, because this is not about money. This is about where this guy's heart is. So he goes on to talk about, so, so then his disciples are like, wow, okay, we just missed that one. That guy just went away. And then he says, in verse 24, he says, I tell you, it is easier for, um, or sorry, look at verse 23. He says, I tell you the truth, it is uh, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, it's not about money, it's about distraction. He says, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to go to heaven. And so his disciples are like, wow, then who can be saved? Because to them, part of the salvation, the salvific process, salvation, came to how much money you give into God. So he's going, if even a rich guy who can give a lot isn't going to buy his way into the kingdom, how can you? And, God, and Jesus says, well, with man it's not possible because, that's, it has, because it has nothing to do with buying your way into the kingdom. But with God, all things are possible because I'm how you're going to get to heaven. But then look at the whole point of, this, of, the, of the scene. In verse 28 he says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the kingdom, in my kingdom, it's his way of saying it, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, guys, we get so lost, and what does that mean for the apostles, and how does that compare to Israel? And guys, who cares? What's his point? His point is, what, have you really turned your whole attention to me and my kingdom? Because he says, anyone who has left his house, his brother, his sisters, his father, his mother, and, or children, any, everybody but your spouse, or lands, for my sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But as many as the first will be last, and the last shall be first. He's saying, guys, it's the people who set their hearts on my kingdom. On me and my kingdom. They're the ones who are, who are doing it right. It's not the rich people who are giving a ton of money. So, so go back to where we were in chapter 6. And I want to show you this last little part of this first section, this first point. I heard some, oh, when Brady was reading this part. In verse, 20, in verse 22 of chapter 6, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, how your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is, is in you is if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other, but you will, you, you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and be distracted by the things of this world. You cannot be the double-minded man. Mark didn't know it was in my notes, but I have written in my Bible, James chapter 1, verse 6. He prayed it during prayer time. It's when, Jesus, it's when James talks about how anyone who asks has to ask without doubting because the one who doubts is like the double-minded man, unstable stable in all his ways. Another picture would be Jesus or Peter walking on the water. We've used this example a lot of times. Jesus orchestrates this whole event, puts his disciples out in the boat. They're rowing all night. He comes walking out on top of the waves, on top of the storm, and, and he's like, and they're all terrified, and finally Peter says, if it's you, call me out. And he says, come. And Peter steps, is the only one, he called them all out. Peter's the only one that gets out of the boat. He comes out, and as soon as Peter sees the wind, sees the waves, sees the world, he starts to what? Sink, because he becomes in that moment what, according to James? The double-minded man. The word said come, but the world is saying this, word, world, word, world. He, he goes this way and he starts to sink. That's the world we're living in. That's you. That's me. We are constantly, moment by moment, bouncing back and forth like a bobblehead. Like seriously, I'm like, world, world, it's, 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 and we have, we have got to train our brains. Because guys, I, I'm going to say it, I'm going to keep saying it, what we fixate on, we migrate towards. What catches our thoughts captures our hearts. What captures our hearts consumes our souls. Guys, what we, this, this is the whole point Jesus is making about the light. He's saying if the light, if, if what you're looking at, because what we fixate on also starts to cause us to want stuff. It's called envy. What, what causes us to fixate on what we fixate on? What we want. So the solution isn't just stop doing this, start loving Jesus more. We have to start seeing Jesus as better. Until we want him more than we want that other stuff, we're not really going to do that. We're going to continue to fix it on the wrong things, which is going to continue to, 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 capture our, to consume our minds, capture our heart, and our souls are not going to be where Jesus wants them, even according to what he's showing us right here. It's just a massive part of the problem. So that leads us, it's all a hard issue. So that leads us to our second talking points question. What what are some of the treasures that steal our heart? What are some of the treasures that steal our heart? Material things. Comfort. Comfort. That's a huge one. Entertainment. Entertainment. Like just being entertained, right? Like, like I, it was written, I don't know how many years ago, but I want to say in the 70s, um, a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Right? It was, I mean, it's, it's just, that's pretty much where we've been. That's, that's where we've landed. I, somebody mentioned it. So I'm gonna, somebody talked. I might have been Jeff. I think talked about like uh, talked about Lot and Abraham. So here, a great scene biblically is in Genesis chapter 13, where Abraham and Lot. So Abraham was father Abraham. Lot is his nephew. They're they, they're basically getting crowded. They're 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 they sheep are growing too fast. They're, so their people are stepping on each other's toes, and so they're like, hey, we got to divide this up, or it's not going to go well for us. So Abraham says, hey, I'll let you pick. You go first. Lot looks around. He's like, okay, I'll go this way. 
Well, which way did he go? What was in the land that he went to? Sin City. He went to Vegas. We call it Sodom. How'd that go for him? Why did he go there? Because it caught his eye. And what caught his eye eventually captured his heart. And what captured his heart consumed his soul. And, it, and he lost everything. Abraham went the other way. Kept his eyes fixed on, not perfectly, but kept his eyes fixed on the promise of Jesus. And it made all the difference. But I was thinking about this. What about, so it's easy for us to kind of go, yeah, okay, our phones and material. What about good things? Can good things become like idols? How about family? How about your marriage? If you put your marriage before, I mean, he just said, like if you put your marriage before, if you put your family before the Lord, if you put, guys, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite Bible teachers and pastors, Vodi Bauckham, he has said, he said something along these lines for years. He's, he's big into like talking to men, and he says, guys, it is, not your pro, it is not your job to teach your son to throw a fastball. Like we are so caught up in, in for example, like youth sports as, as an example. We're so caught up in going, I need to teach my kid to throw a fastball. No, what you need to teach your kid to do is love Jesus and his kingdom. That's what you need to teach your kid to do. But how about another one? He thought like, well, but I, and this is another example that Vody uses. Um, but, but we need to be getting our kids ready to go to the best colleges and universities. We need to get them ready so they, can, so they can apply to Harvard or wherever you think it is so they can have a successful career. And he's like, guys, if that's where they end up and they don't know the Lord or they know the Lord but they've wasted their life, because they haven't served him and his bride, what's the point? But do you see how fast, even in, like, it's not a bad thing to want your kids to have fun in sports. It's not a bad thing to want your kids to go to a good school. But if that becomes a thing you put ahead of him, it is no longer a good thing. And guys, the we, I've talked about this, the th- you know, this whole de-churching of America. One of, the, one of the biggest reasons people stopped attending church over the last 20 years, those 40 million people over the last 20 years, is youth sports. If, you, if we got into 101 right now, and instead of going up to our park day, or, or next week, instead of going up to our park day, we drove down to the park, um, Rio Vista Park, down there where all the... Watch and see how many kids and families are playing sports right now. Right now. And how many of them have bumper stickers from churches on the back of their car? Now, one of Odie's favorite things is if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. And so we all, I mean, me too, we all have to be careful of that. So, 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 so how do we keep our gaze fixed on Jesus? First, we have to set our sights. The second thing is we have to see, our, um, see his faithfulness. So back to, cha- I don't know where I left you, but back to chapter 6, and, and we're going to pick it up in verse 25. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Brady read the whole thing, but he says, in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Guess what? Another command. Some, some of your translations might say worry. It's the same word. Do not be anxious or do not worry about your life, what you're to eat or drink or, or, or about your body for what, um, for what you put in it. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? He's saying, guys, it's, it's the next life, the eternal life that we ought to be worried about. But then if you look at, and then he goes on to talk about, look at the birds and how they're faithfully cared for and then he says and then in verse 27 he says and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life 
He's like, how, how many of you can, you can't, by what point is, guys, worry is, and, and anxiety is, is the, our biggest problem, honestly. Now, now, you might not be an anxious person. Like, you might not describe yourself as an anxious person. You might not describe yourself as a worrier. I think most of us do. But what all of, we all have that, we just will, some of us are quicker to turn it to other emotions. Men will often take anxiety and worry and turn it to anger. Because anger is a safe place for men. Now, it seems like everybody in the world is just angry, not just men anymore, but I'm just like, so we'll take our, the worry that we feel or the anxiety that we feel. If I'm in an anxious place right now in my world or what's going on in my family or, what's, or, or our finances or whatever it is, and one of my daughters comes to me with a problem, I will often in that moment, because I'm, I have all these other emotions that have nothing to do with what she's coming to me with, and I will project that out onto her because it's safe. I, it's, as a dude in particular, it's hard for me to go, yeah, I'm just really worried about this. Now, the, the problem, the reason Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious, he's like, it's a, it is a joy stealer. Because it is, it is the enemy's biggest way to distract us. It kills fruit. Worry and anxiety destroys spiritual fruit. It just does. In my life, in your life. And so, so Jesus is like, don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Look at verse 37. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? He's like, don't you know that, that God has got this? The point is, God's got this all under control. He's saying, our, in, in, in conveying like the birds and the, and the lilies of the field and all that, what he's saying is, don't, don't you see that this is all part of, like God's got this. And ultimately, even if things are not going well for you in the present, it isn't about the present. It's about that eternal glory. It's about that eternal life. It's about, it's about living. So, so look at where he says in verse 30, 31, therefore do not be anxious. Then look at verse 34, therefore do not be anxious. When Jesus says three times the same thing in a very short period of time, it, I think we ought to take him seriously because that's why he did it. He didn't waste words. So he's saying, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, three times in a short space because he's trying to make the point, hey guys, don't be anxious because your father is in control. Your father knows that you need all these things. He's got you covered. But the therefore there, therefore don't be anxious, therefore don't be anxious, therefore is tied to something. What's it tied to? Remember, anytime we see the word therefore in the Bible, we have to ask why, what's the therefore Therefore, right? So that those therefores, this is the pinnacle of the whole message of the Sermon on the Mount, this section. He is bringing all of this together, and then he's going to start backing out of it in chapter 7. He's bringing all of this together to say, therefore, in light of the fact that my heavenly Father has flipped this whole thing upside down, that my kingdom has come, and my will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And it looks very different. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the mournful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Like, he's like, that's way different than what we think blessing is. And we talked about that for three, different, for three separate weeks. But his, he's taking this is in light of that. He's saying in light of the fact that we live in a, that, that the world we're living in is not reality. It's just where we happen to be living right now. But there's a reality way more real. And it's his kingdom come, and it's his will be done. He's, he's constantly asking, are we looking at the right kingdom? But, but, but none of this matters. Like None of what, what Brady read and what I just sort of skimmed through in that section matters unless we want know God, like that you're saved, that you know him, that you know, a, that you know his character. 
Do you understand the sovereignty of God? That he's in control of all things. That nothing comes your way that is not first filtered through your heavenly father. And that's hard when the things that are coming your way stink. Right? So why in the world are you, are you bringing that to me? Because his end game for you and I is not our temporary happiness. It's our eternal holiness. And, and we have to, this whole life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. And eternity lasts a really long time. So that's why he cares way more about it than about your temporary, temporal happiness. Now when you're in the midst of it, when it's hitting you in the teeth, that is hard. I get it. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to encourage one another. And not just with some little Christianese things like, well, God is sovereign. We need to sit with people and mourn with those who are mourning and weep with those who are weeping. Because the, guys, why do you think there's so, you're going to read about this throughout the daily readings this coming week. Why do you think there's so much talk about don't be anxious? Don't worry. Old Testament and New Testament. Why? Because God, not only do people worry, but because God knows. He's like, I know what this world's like broken. I didn't break it, but I knew it was going to get broken. And I know it's hard. He's not saying, stop worrying or I'm going to punish you. He's saying, you're, you're, you're missing out on the blessing. That is just the beauty that is me. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So, so understand the sovereignty of God. Understand the justice of God. Understand the righteousness of God. That he may lift you up at the due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the question becomes, do you believe God cares? So look at your last talking points question. That's what it is. Do you believe God cares? So I'm not asking for input. I'm just, I want you to stop. We're just going to be quiet. I want you to think about this. Think, first, think about the top three things going on in the world right now that are causing you to worry. In the world, not your life, the world. The only question on the table in that moment is when, when, we, when we we're worried about those, whether those things are global or here in our, you know, what's going on in our culture in America, whatever it is, when, or the church. Like when, when I had those moments of going, my goodness, what is going on in the church now? Like why are so many people leaving the church? I don't mean just this church. I mean the church and all the things. And I stop and I go, in that moment, I have two choices. I look at the world and I get anxious. Or I look at the person that is the word, Jesus Christ. And I say, do I trust him? That's the, that's the battle. That it is a battle for that. Now, same thing. How about the top three things that are going on in your life that are making you anxious? Do you trust God? So take a minute and just think about, like, what, like personally now, maybe it's health stuff, finances, whatever it is, what are the top three things right now in your life that are making you feel, that, that you worry about in your, in your moments of worry? Because when Jesus says, do not worry, do not be anxious, he isn't saying, or I'll punish you. He's saying, he's saying, because you'll miss the blessing. 
the blessing of me right here in this moment in your life, wherever you are. If you're worried about tomorrow, if you're worried about this after, if you're, wor- if you're worried about whatever, he's saying what you're missing is my presence because the reason we're worried, back up to the very beginning, the reason we worry, the reason we're anxious is because we have our eyes in the wrong place. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. Right? What, what captures our minds eventually will consume our souls. And what we're looking at and what we're thinking about, those are all things that are mind capture. And so they are soul conforming. And what he's saying is, man, we have got to get, the only solution isn't just try to stop worrying. The answer is, the antidote is, seek first me and my kingdom and my righteousness. The answer is get your eyes fixed. If, if, the, if worry is because we have our eyes fixed on the wrong place, then the antidote to worry is getting them fixed on the right place. And that's our last point. So how do we keep our eyes fixed? We set our sights. We see his faithfulness, and then we seek his glory. Because if you look at verse 33, which is really the point of the whole Sermon on the Mount, this is the pinnacle of the whole sermon right here, is, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Guys, this is the point of, the whole, of not just today's message, but Jesus' message in these three chapters, these three long chapters. He is saying the point is, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Guys, what would it look like if we lived like we believed that? What would it look like in my life or your life if we lived like we really believed that if I sought first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else would be added unto us? What would it look like in the big things? Young people in the room that maybe haven't made career choices or old people in the room that are in between that are thinking about career transitions and I'll leave you to whoever's young and whoever's old. But think about this. Are, 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 your, are your motivations, are, are, is it even on your radar to ask the question, what is it that would help me help the kingdom come, the will be done? In other words, what would make me more useful to my master? What would make me more glorifying to my king? What would allow me to step into more spaces where I could be used to grow the kingdom? And then that's where he wants me to go. That's where he wants me to move. That's the school he wants me to go to. That's the friend group he wants me to get into. That's the youth sports thing he wants me to enter into. Because now my motivation is, it's not the thing, it's your motivation, it's the heart. Because this is where I can grow the kingdom. Right? This is where I can be useful to the master. This is why I want to go this place or do that. It's because, because he's telling me, like, this is how I would seek, for, this is how I, he's called me, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Is that even on our radar most of the time as followers of Christ? That's a, a really convicting question for me, and I'm a pastor. So I, I, I mean, I remember the days, like the, the amount, guys, the amount of distraction in our lives, it goes back to that, of, of getting lured and drawn, because especially in the, even the little things. Maybe in the big things, you're kind of going, yeah, I kind of got that. But what about moment by moment? When you pick up your phone and your choice is, I can open up my Bible app and read some of God's word, or maybe I have a book on, um, on Kindle that is edifying and encouraging about, about, you know, about God, or I can open up my news feed and see everything that's wrong in the world. Or I can open up my Facebook feed and see all the things I'm missing out on. Or I can, like, like that moment that you decide which, you're like, that's the war. It is. That's the war. 
And you add enough of those little moments up, and guess what happens? Big things, big moments. Chuck Swindoll says it is in the little things and the lowly places that we prove ourselves faithful in the big things. It is in the little things and the lowly places. It is in that moment when, when the war is being waged between am I going to look at the word or the world and I choose the word, that's how I show myself faithful for the big things. Right? Sometimes the bigger decisions are easier than the smaller things. But where does that come from? And we're about to wrap this thing up. Where does that come from? Here's where it comes from. And we, and we were guilty of this for a long time even as a church. We talked a lot about how you, know, you need to have, as men, as godly men, you need to have priorities. You need to have your priorities right. And your number one priority needs to be what? Come on, gentlemen. Your number one priority needs to be what? Christ or God. Your second priority needs to be your wife. Your, your wife. Your, second, your third is your children, your family. If, I mean, this is what God would have for you. Your fourth would be like your job, your, you know, a way to provide for them. And then maybe your fifth would be your ministry. And then, and then you go, okay, so yeah, so it's God. So I know it's God, fam, God wife, family. But then I realize, but, but my whole life, like my, but, but my reality is, my wife and kids are here in front of me all the time right? As they should be. So am I living my life, God? Like, like is most of my time spent with God? No, it's spent with them. But it's, it's because we sell, here's what we do. We say, so I've got my wife, my kids, my, uh, my, my wife, my family, my job, and my ministry. And then I go, well, I'm, I'm, I got to get Jesus in there somewhere. So here's Jesus. I've tacked him on. That's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus is not, a, he's not on your priority list. He's not even meant to be number one on your priority list. He is meant to be the life on which your list is written. Does that make sense? This is, what it, this is Jesus. He's all those things. He is the God of all those things. My family, my, my wife, my family, my job, my ministry. And he's saying, do this. Put me on top of all of those. Filter all of it through me and let me re be revealed through them. And that's what it looks like to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It isn't just tag me on when it's convenient. Add me on to a part of your life. But because we live it that way, we start going, yeah, but my life is so busy and, and man, these things are just consuming so much of my time. What can I get rid of? What, well, how can I free up some time? I know, if I just stop serving the church, if I stop going to church, if I, I can still hang out with Jesus, but I, I just don't have time for that right now in this season. And then it becomes, oh, well, maybe you know, I don't have time to read the word today. And pretty soon, he isn't even on your priority list anymore, except for some flippant statement to say, my number one priority is Jesus. And, he would, and according to this passage, he's going to look at our lives and go, where? 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 Our heart, guys, what we do is just, an, we saw this, out of the overflow of our heart, we saw last week, our mouth speaks, our hands do, our feet walk. That's really what he's after. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to invite the music team to come up, and how do we, like, how do we actually do this? Well, guys, I said it before, I'll say it again. If the problem with the reason we're anxious, the reason we worry, the reason we, the reason we aren't seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is because we're distracted we need to go back to where my wife had a start during prayer time. Because we need to train our brains to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Because whatever that looks like in your life, and that isn't just reading your word for 15 minutes in the morning, although it, is, it certainly ought to, can be that. It's what does it take in those, in those moments where the war is being waged, where the word says this and the world says that, how do we, how do we train ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus? 
And the answer is, it's going to be different for everybody in the room, but it's got to start with a desire, with, with, with just seeing him as better. So I've asked the music team to lead us in that song that Carrie asked them to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I'm not done yet, but if you would just bring the lights off, all the way off. And I just want whatever it looks like for you to close your eyes and picture, what, picture Christ as they sing this song. So maybe for you, it's um, an image in your head. How do you put that image before you? Like, it's, in this space, it's maybe e it's easier. Where they're singing, we're thinking about it. But what about later? What are some things that you can do to, in, the, in those moments of anxiety and where you, where you can catch that thought and turn it to this one. Sing it again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow I'll sing it one more time, but um, as they finish that and we go into our time of response and communion, Lord, we just come to you and I just, I want to pray for the hearts in this room, regardless of where we are spiritually, whether we don't know you yet, whether we have walked with you for decades, the only antidote to the world is to see you as better, It's to behold Behold the beauty and the majesty that is Jesus Christ. To behold the kind of love that says, as he's being nailed to a cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let us be a people that are about beholding. And let the things of this earth grow strangely dim. In Jesus' name.